Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, and welcome to One's Too Many, a podcast dedicated to helping veterans and first responders get through the struggles they might be facing internally or externally. Hear interviews with special guests and experts. So whether you're struggling with transition, depression, or even problems at work, we're here for you to give you actionable advice and examples of how you can get through them and succeed by those who have struggled too. I'm your host, Adam Salters, and thanks for listening. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to One's Too Many, Episode 6. For today's show, we have Boyd Renner joining us. He's a soon-to-be alumni for Penn State's MBA program, a startup co-founder, and a 23-year member of the Navy Special Warfare's dev group. Please stay tuned because he's got a lot of good stuff to share with all of us. Now please join me in welcoming Boyd Renner. Hey everyone, we have Boyd Renner here. It's been so good to come on the show. Boyd, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, man. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, like I said earlier when we first started talking, I really appreciate the cause that you're doing and the effort. You don't have to do any of this, and, and you took it upon yourself to, to make the world a better place. So I appreciate it. A little bit about me. I grew up in a uh, one-stoplight town in Colorado. Uh, we really didn't need that stoplight, but we had it anyway. <laughs> and, you know, solid C-plus student, like a lot of the listeners through high school, decided the most efficient use of my time would be to go to the military. So uh, I ended up joining. I had to travel 60 miles for the closest recruiter, which happened to be a Navy guy. And when I was sitting in his office, you know, sort of waiting my turn, um, I saw a um, little publication that had, you know, pictures of bud students and SEAL stuff on it. And I said, well, shit, that looks a lot better than being on a boat, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it, just not for me. So I carried the magazine in there and told the guy that that's what I wanted to do. So he basically he looked at you know all five eight hundred and fifty pounds of me and said, well that's great, but let's let's get you to a regular school first. And he signed me up to aviation electrician school. Unbeknownst to me, that was the longest A school in the Navy, I think, or at least right under the longest, and which turned out to be a blessing. You know when I uh, so I had that six month A school to basically teach myself to get in shape and, you know, run and swim and all those things and then showed up to Bud's. And literally the first time I jumped in the ocean was at Bud's. I swam in <laughs> pools and lakes and I remember calling my dad, I think it was after Hell Week of Bud's and being like, Dad, why is the water so damn salty? Like I had no clue <laughs> that the ocean was, you know, salty and, you know, had waves and it's like swimming in a toilet. <laughs> so... You know, then I did, I finished Buds, only about 16 of us graduated out of that, originals out of that class of 120, and, you know, then back then we went straight to Airborne Jump School, you know, where you think you're better than anything, anyone there, (laughs) and uh, because that's what you've been told or believe, and then you have to take a step back and go through Jump School uh, with your Army, Army brothers and sisters, and then got assigned to SEAL Team 2. Showed up at SEAL Team 2. Did some more advanced training for another six months or so, and then I deployed, did a med cruise on a boat, and then I came back, volunteered for the next platoon, which happened to be a winter warfare platoon. Uh, We specialized back then into different environments, whether it be jungle, desert, 
winter. So I was in a winter platoon and did a deployment there, went to sniper school, went to communication school. Then immediately I heard about this special unit called development group. So I figured out that, well, that sounds better than doing what I'm doing now. So I signed myself up and was selected to go to Naval Special Warfare Development Group here in Damnick, where I spent the next 23 years of my career at that unit, bouncing around to different squadrons within that unit. And then ultimately, you know, went there as an E-5, made it up to E-9, and then transitioned from E-9 to W-3, and then retired as a W-4 in November of 16. And over the last year and a half, I've done everything from consulting to contracting to a co-founder of a startup company. I'm working on my master's, got about four classes left in that. And me and my wife just moved into a new house, which is an ongoing project as we speak. (laughs) So that's it in a macro view. I'll pause there to see what questions you have, brother. Yeah, okay. When you say hard, I feel like that's a drastic understatement when you're talking about buds and the pipeline you had to go through. What do you consider kind of credit your success going through all that to? Is it like your mindset? What would you consider the most helpful for you at the time? Well, I think it started when that recruiter, you know, underestimated me. You mm-hmm. know, he, he didn't want me to send me right to buds, which is fine. It actually helped. But, you know, from that moment on, I felt like I was constantly being underestimated, like most military guys are, you know, guys that, you know, the join and, you know, they constantly have a chip on their shoulder. But I think what really started my career, I've told this story a few times, is when I show when, when guys show up to Buds, they're assigned, you know, four random roommates at the time. And I remember my roommates, you know, there's a couple guys from the Naval Academy, and then there was a, a wrestler from, from Pennsylvania, all-American wrestler. And so basically those three guys look like, well, basically look like seals you see in the movies today, which aren't <laughs> accurate, but that's what they look like, you know, and, and they were all older, you know, they'd already done some college time. And you know, I was 18 years old. I couldn't even drink. I could drink on base, but I couldn't drink out of town, you know. Mm-hmm. So none of those guys invited me out or, you know, you know, tag along with them on the weekends when they were going up north or having some fun with their car. So I was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'll do my own thing. And and it was once you start up, you know, after sort of in-dock phase called fourth phase back then, you, you start buds, and which is called first phase. And right off the bat, like the, the very first thing you do, you know, on week one is a 50 meter underwater swim mm-hmm. where, you, where you jump in, you do a flip and, uh, and you do 50 yards or 50 meters. I don't remember. And I was like, well, shit, that doesn't sound hard. You just don't come up. You know, There's, that's why they have safety swimmers here. If something mm-hmm. happens, they're going to come get me. I'm just not going to come up. So that's what I did. And I passed the first time. And I, you know, there's two groups when you come out of the water. There's a group with a good looking smile on their face. And there's another group that's got poopy pants over in the corner because they know they got to do it again. <laughs> and uh, so two of the guys, the Naval Academy guys, they both quit after their second try, I believe. They're just like, hey, this isn't for me. And, and they ring, ring the bell. You have to ring a bell to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, sh- well, that was fast. And uh, so now this guy that's left is, you know, all of a sudden talking to me, and now he's now, now he has to talk to me because no one else is left. And I don't know if it's a week later or, or what, but there's another test you do where your hands are tied behind your back and your feet are tied, and, you know, they teach you how to relax and, and jump in the pool and, you know, teach you how to relax. Go, you know, take a breath, go to the bottom, kick up, take another breath. It's not that hard, or it wasn't hard to me because I'd never seen the ocean, right? So I hadn't <laughs> had much time in the water to mm-hmm. have bad habits. And so, again, I went to the group that had a smile on their face. 
And then the, the guy that was now my buddy, he, he tried it three times that day and he ended up quitting that afternoon. So for the rest of the first phase, I had, you know, essentially a room to myself. So that was a long answer to your question is, <laughs> is just being underestimated and, and wanting to prove everyone wrong at every single step, including when I retired. Uh, that carries, that goes today. That's why I'm working on my master's. That's why I'm, you know, not potentially working on a book. I'm, you know, just every day trying to make myself better. Do you think that mindset has helped you going through, what, Penn State, I think it is? The NBA program yeah. there? Yeah, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to apply. I didn't think I could make it, you know, just because, well, I really didn't want to take the entrance exam is what I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. do. But my, my wife, she talked me into applying and, and I was accepted. And then I didn't have to take any entrance exams because I had so much experience with project management, which is what my degree's in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it worked out. And then, of course, now... You know, I've been very fortunate and blessed to have a lot of scholarships from some foundations out there, the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, uh, the UDT SEAL Foundation, SEAL Future Fund, you know, all those different organizations that are built, you know, to help guys, mm-hmm. yeah, military members, you know, take the next step. So now I have to finish and I will. I took the summer off just because I had some stuff going on, but I'm going to start up here in the fall. Okay. If you had to give someone advice that were trying to go through kind of like the same pipeline you went through, what would it be? Well, I think I think the first off is join for the right reasons. You know, attempt to do whatever you're doing for the right reasons. What you see a lot today is, is some young kids want to be a SEAL or SF or you know a Ranger or, or infantry because they think that's what they, they think what they see on TV is what it's going to be like. And doing what you do, you can definitely vouch that that is not accurate. <laughs> not quite. Literally, literally <laughs> down there cleaning the toilet with a toothbrush when you're not out there shooting guns. That's just, it's got to get done. And the same goes for my community. You know, uh, what people see on TV today is not not what it's like. I mean, I was in for 28 years. I never fired a bullet, you know, in a combat situation until after, well, well there was one instance in 1998, but no combat experience until 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. So I was in the military from 1988 to 2001 before I ever saw a bit of combat. So with that, you get endless hours of training and, and being bored and waiting to be told what to do. Um, so a lot of people don't realize that. It's not like you're going out on missions every three days and you know you got a leather suburban taking you to the runway. That's not the case. Yeah. I've always wondered, what was September 12th in 2001 like for you? Well, the 11th, uh, you know, uh, say that again, you, you mean 9-11. Yeah, or the, the day, what was the day after? I mean, I'm sure 9-11 was spent trying to get back to your unit. I'm sure wherever you were was crazy then. And so what was like, what was the next day like? Well, with most Americans, you're, you're kind of in shock, you know, and it's probably like Americans back in World War II seeing pictures from Pearl Harbor, you know, mm-hmm. just no, you know, no one can believe that that would happen on our soil. So I was at, I was actually in the doctor's office here in, uh, in Virginia Beach because I had uh, broken my hand on a training evolution at Fort Knox, Kentucky. So I had a cast on, I was getting x-rayed, I think, and, uh, and I remember coming out of the x-ray and seeing everyone crowded around the TV and... You know, I remember getting in the truck thinking, you know, the world's going to change. Wife's calling me, making sure I'm okay. And I remember pulling into work that next day, and, you know, we had a squadron uh, that's on standby. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're basically packing their stuff. 
you know, on the 12th, was waiting for their orders, which which came pretty soon, by the way. No, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so it wasn't our unit that my squadron is on standby. It was another one. So we basically helped them get ready, basically looked at our, you know, long-term schedule for training and, you know, what do we need to do? What do we need to change? And a lot of people need to realize that we hadn't seen combat, my unit. You know, we've seen bits and pieces of combat, you know, with Grenada and Panama and, you know, we had some guys there in Black Hawk Down, Somalia, and some small little, you know, issues in Haiti, but nothing like this. This was something, this was a war, you mm-hmm. know, which hadn't happened for a long, long time. So we had some adjustments to do, both with equipment, tactics, training, and, and all those things, just like everyone else did. So, yeah, so the 12th was, to answer your question again, is, you know, what do we do and where are we going? Because we knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know, as everyone knows, it's kind of rampant around the regular military service members and vets. Is depression, suicide now like the same kind of problem? I don't say the high speed unit you're in, but like a more advanced unit? Well, the short answer is yes, our unit has the same problems. It's probably not as uh, prevalent as, uh, as other units. And that's only because my unit is, is so much older as mm-hmm. far as average age. So, you know. Being older that we are, uh, we've been exposed to and a little more mature for, you know, you know, traumatic, challenging things to deal with than, say, a young PFC or a young Marine that might just left boot camp and now they're deployed and they have a baby at home and they got financial shit going on and, they, you know, they're seeing mm-hmm. combat and then they come home and financial stuff's still there. Now the baby's a year old and the wife's, you know, so... Yeah, to answer your question, our unit has our own problems, I think we do, but I don't think it, it's definitely not as prevalent as, as other units, and that's just an age thing, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Okay. The first time, like, we had a guy that killed himself, they set us down on one of the drill field behind our unit at Fort Bragg in the middle, middle of December for, like, six hours, and then gave us another six-hour, like, safety brief from our PowerPoint. I don't really think that helped in any way. Do you all have, like, a different way of handling it for the survivors? Well, I mean, we got a pretty good infrastructure, you know, and support group, you know, with our unit. We've got a lot of support. you got to remember our unit's pretty small compared with mm-hmm. where you were. Exactly. You know, I've got 100 or 200 SEALs, you know, and 4,000 support personnel, mm-hmm. you know. So we have a very robust infrastructure to help guys. We've got, you know, counselors right there on the unit. We've got, uh, you know, saltwater tanks you know, for stress, we've got all kinds of you know, resources to help us. Mm-hmm. So I think we're fortunate in the sense that it's there and all we have to do is make a call or ask and we pretty much get the support. Whereas, you know, larger units, more resource dependent, you know, they don't always have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there, but you got to look a little harder to, to reach it. So the best thing I can tell your listeners is if they see any indication that, that their buddies or their brother or their sisters, you know, they're off or they're, they're changing the way they're um, going about their daily routine, just ask them. Just say, hey, man, what's up? What do you got going on? Let's go, uh, let's go, let's go talk. Let's go have a coffee and just shoot the shit. Because you'd be surprised what that simple gesture would do for someone that's just dying to, to tell someone about their problems. It's better to be told no than, than you know, wake up to a newspaper article the next day of, of, you know, the worst. Absolutely. I feel like they always tell you, like, the main thing is to just, like, ask certain things, like, do you have a plan and things like that. I know it's, you might lose a friend by asking something like that, but I feel like it's better than the alternative. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, 
what they tell you to do is is right on. You know, especially if it's a close friend, you're going to know what's going to work and what's not. Mm-hmm. You know, some guys they you know they, they open up differently than others under different coaxing. So you know, if you know the person, obviously use use what you think will work. But if you don't know them, find someone who does and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, man, I was thinking of talking to your buddy because he's you know got some stuff going on. He's not being he's not the same. That's definitely what you got to do." Mm-hmm. I know one of like the main reasons why like a lot of people don't come forward is. I know it sounds dumb, but the, the the stigma against the whole like mental health problems and PTSD and everything like that in the military. Because I mean, frankly, after years of like training and living with with your buddy, it's I mean terrifying. The idea that he's that they might think, oh, suddenly Salters might not do his job, or you can't trust him, or so on and so forth. I know the military is doing a lot to kind of get rid of that, but is there a way that we could like as individuals help that stigma kind of like dissipate? Yeah, and that's one thing our unit definitely deals with, you know, because we have pretty high clearances at my unit. So guys are always worried that if they go talk with a counselor, you know, or a chaplain or something, they're going to have, you know, something happen with their, with their clearance, which is, you know, everyone that listens to this that has a clearance knows that, you know, mm-hmm. that's your sort of Willy Wonka golden ticket is to have a clearance. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to do is lose that. So what our unit did, which was, which was great and it worked good, in fact, I used it, is they had a, uh, uh, location off base that people could go to that was completely anonymous. They didn't have to send an email. They didn't even have to call. It was not attached to the command. They were um, uh, individuals that basically volunteered their time to just be at this facility and listen and and just be there. Uh, no records were kept. Nothing was ever written down. You know, they weren't allowed to let the chain of command know that people had even come there. That might not be 100% accurate. Obviously, if, if you've got, if you say something there that's a threat to yourself or others, then I think mm-hmm. legally they have to. But uh, being as it, it, it gave guys a way to not walk across the grinder and walk up to a, um, you know, a psychologist there on the compound. Mm-hmm. They can get in their car, they can tell their buddy they're going to go grab a burger, and they just pull right into this place and, you know, they have someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but that's not always there. So, my advice would be find someone to talk to. And if you're that person that sees something going on, just talk to that person, you know, individually or, you know, just playing a game of basketball, just pull them aside and just check on or her. Mm-hmm. The military actually has a program right now. Ah, I wish I could remember what it's called. I talked with one of our other guests about it. I'll put it in the show notes. A lot of mental health professionals from around the country, it's an app on your phone that you're, you're able to a look up people and it has people that are actually that you're able to go talk to in your surrounding area for free. That they volunteer their time, like an hour of their time, to actually talk to people. You can kind of they have they have their background, so you can kind of vet them before you go talk to them. I think that's great, man. I haven't heard of that, but that's just another example of you know, technology being used for good versus just crazy social media and and fake news. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, I should definitely put that out. Absolutely. When you got out, uh, when was, I guess, your biggest challenge when you were getting out? Well, I thought about this a lot, and the best example I can give, and I think you can resonate with it, is is when you're in the military, you're part of, you know, a small, medium, or large tribe, depending, you know, on your mm-hmm. situation. And there's different levels of that tribe. You know, you got your, your fire team or your your squad or whatever, your platoon and your, your troop, but you're part of a tribe. And in that tribe, just like you know, Native Americans, you have a language that you speak 
and, and mannerisms that you do and things that you do that everyone instantly understands, no matter how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a dude that refuses to shave with anything but a silver ranger <laughs> or the guy that freaking, you know, he's, you know, always washes his feet. You know, there's just, you understand why people do the things they do. Mm-hmm. And so what was really helpful for me and my advice that I've given a few times is the sooner that you find a new tribe that understands your language and your mannerisms, the better. I was fortunate. I jumped right on a, a government contract. I was back on the water in one day after I retired. I was, you know, doing consulting work on the water mm-hmm. with a bunch of retired guys and some active duty guys. So I never really left. I never really left the tribe, mm-hmm. um, and I, I continue that to this day. And now, you know, as you get acclimated to the civilian tribes, you can change those tribes. You can. You can find a corporate tribe now, but you can't do it right away. Like in my opinion, it's it's really challenging to transfer from a military tribe instantly in the corporate tribe without having anyone in that organization that understands you. Mm-hmm. Unless you're just squared away and you know, maybe you've done a lot of college and had college beforehand or whatever. But you know, most of the time, that's the challenge for the average individual to go mm-hmm. from you know an infantry platoon to a damn stockbroker you know no, yeah, it's just hard it's just hard uh that's again a long answer to your your good question there is is, is get out have a plan beforehand and find out what that tribe is it, it could be anything it could be you playing softball you know with some buddies on the weekends as you look for a job but find it uh you know it's humbling when you leave your command uh, it was humbling for me i remember when i left i was the longest serving member there um, at the time and i remember i got escorted out Gave the guy my badge, and the door shut behind me um, after 23 years of being in that building. And, you know, the mission's more important than the individual, but it's pretty humbling when you're driving off your compound for the last time and not having, you know, the, that that group of people that understand you. Yeah. I remember, like, one of the, the hardest things I found getting out was, like, while you're in, like, as you're talking about, there's this amazing support system, which I myself took completely for granted. Uh, I know a lot of my friends and I had all had like the same problem. Like suddenly you're by yourself for the first time, maybe in for years, and in your case, decades. And I mean, it's a tough thing to kind of go through. I don't, that is what I had like the hard time coming out with because of that. Yeah, no, you could, couldn't have said it better myself, man. Is is you know find that core group of people that understand you, join it, and then work towards you know making yourself better, making yourself you know a better tribe member. Mm-hmm. What did you think when you got out that you thought would be like easy transitioning with that you kind of like struggled when you actually went through it? Actually, it's a simple, it's the things that you really don't think of that, well, I didn't think of them. Like writing a resume, you know, mastering how to tie a damn tie. <laughs> you know, what's appropriate business casual versus, mm-hmm. you know, casual, just the little things, um, you know, dinners, you know, business dinners. Mm-hmm. You know, what's appropriate? Who picks up the check? I mean, it's all those little, you know, yeah, corporate cultural things that some people just intuitively understand that, you know, you and I, who's eaten a chow hall with plastic silverware forever, <laughs> we just don't get it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it takes time and there's no book for it. It's just do the best you can. Mm-hmm. And, and there's resources out there, you know, nine times out of 10, none of us ever look at them. And I was, I was definitely one of them, but, you know, I found a good guy down in, in Florida that, retired and all he does is write resumes and he takes your military career and civilianizes it you know i found a good couple books on how to put on a tie and a suit 
what matches with what. And uh, you just do the best you can. You improvise and you adapt, just like we did in your military career. Mm-hmm. So you had to change the way you talked a little bit. Not quite as many bucks. Yeah, you definitely got to tone that down. But here's a funny story for you that you'll appreciate. <laughs> My wife works at a CPA firm, and uh, you know she's been married to me for 26 years coming up sound, so she speaks like me half the time. <laughs> well, she tells a story where she's in a, a meeting with the partners at the CPA firm, and they're sitting around waiting for the client. And they're, you know, basically, she's like, man, this day just sucks. My car shit the bed. And everyone looks at her like she's got a damn horn coming out of her head. They're like, what do you mean your car shit the bed? I don't understand what that means. She's like, you know, it's broken. It's broke down. And she's there. And they just, you know, no one laughed in the whole entire room. So, yeah. So, yeah, we speak our own language for sure. I remember the first time I came back, like, saying certain things to my mom. And, like, she looks at me like, maybe we should tone this down a little bit. That's no. exactly right. Are you still active in your commu- special operations community? You know, I I am and I'm not. You know, I, I do some government contracting work to support some clients up north, mm-hmm. north of Virginia. And so I'm still in the community, but not, not so much uh, my specific community, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. No, yeah. Uh, I know you talked a little about, about some different organizations used for, like, scholarships. Are there any different, like, veteran service organizations you suggest as someone that's actually getting out? Well, I mean, I would Google it is mm-hmm. what I would do. Um, for me, I've got the UDT SEAL Foundation, and, I've, you know, they've got some transitional help. But there's a lot of transitional organizations out there. I mean, every community is different. Every community supports their boys. You know, for me, I've got a you know a core group that helps me. But, you know, honestly, I would just Google and ask around. I, I'd hate to give some bad advice from, mm-hmm. for a young infantryman. Uh, I'm sure it's on your site or a Marine. Mm-hmm. But they're out there. Use the Internet and find it. No, absolutely. Uh, I know one of our uh, other guests, he's doing his, his doctorate on, it's called post-traumatic growth. Have you ever heard of it before? No, I haven't, but it sounds sounds really interesting. I look forward to hearing about it. Uh, it's a situation where basically people that, that go through the same thing, it's kind of like your mindset. You use your experience to kind of motivate you to excel in life, where you, you can derive like a greater appreciation and respect for life and what you're going through because of what you went through. Do you see yourself kind of like experience or going through any of this? All right. Now, now I'm back. I'm sorry. I apologize. What was your question, brother? Do you see yourself kind of experiencing any of the same stuff as post-traumatic growth? No, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I do, man. I, I um, No, I think I'm good. I, I, you know, I take everything in stride. Uh, I, I, I do my best to um, make myself better every day, whether that's listening to podcasts or you know, there's a lot of really good podcasts out there where guys can listen to, um, you know, obviously I'm going to school, you know, the basically is, you know, get away from your Xbox, get away from your uh, video games and, and, and do something every day that makes you better, whether mm-hmm. that's go to the gym, whether that's read a, a business book, a marketing book, or, you know, something nonfiction. That, that's my biggest thing that, that I try to do every day. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's small, you know, sometimes maybe I just listen to a podcast on the way to work, mm-hmm. and, but I learned something. Um, but if you don't do that, what you're, what you're going to realize very quickly is that your peers that, you know, everyone's a war hero now, right? So most resumes are the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you, don't, if you don't separate yourself from your peers, you're going to be on the outside looking in. And I noticed that about two years before I retired, I was working on my resume and I'm like, God, this thing sucks. Like, like, like I really, you know, I was comparing it with people that are out there and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Well, okay, I'm going to get my undergrad. And I did it online from Afghanistan, 
four deployments to Afghanistan. I did my undergrad. And then, you know, I just went right into my master's. I did, you know, most of that, you know, while deployed to Afghanistan. I did half my master's. So there's not a lot of room for excuses in my book because you're you know, the people that are getting the jobs are not making excuses. They're, they're just making themselves better. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know one of the things that really helped me is I was like a really weird place probably like a year and a half, two years ago. And then I listened to a podcast by Lewis Howes that was talking about gratitude. And so now I keep like a little gratitude journal where I write like five things I'm grateful for and like my goals like morning and nighttime. I feel like that's really changed a lot. Do you practice gratitude in any way? Yeah, I mean, I try to give back as much as I can. Uh, you know, I volunteer. Uh, my wife has cystic fibrosis. I volunteer when I can to support that. We got a big, big hike coming up. You know, a twenty-six mile hike. You know, to raise money for cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. I volunteer when I can for the UDT Seal Foundation. And my goal is to pay back every single dime of the money that these different organizations have given me for college, and just pay it forward. And that's, you know, that's what I pride myself in doing is, is keeping that as my long-term goal is being successful enough to where I can, you know, give back to my own community and others. Absolutely. When, when's your race at? So, yeah, if you Google Extreme Hike Virginia, you'll see that it's like the third week of September, I guess, last week of September. Mm-hmm. We've still, we're on our third practice hike now. I think I got a, I think this next weekend coming up, I got about a 12-miler. I'm one of the guides for it. And then we build up to about 15 and then 20 miles. Uh, and then we, we finish with the big 26 mile. And we, we mm-hmm. raise a decent amount of money every year. It's, it's, great. it's great. Okay. Is there a way that our listeners can donate to that? Is there like a website? Just Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you, if you look at my Instagram page, I've got a link there to the Cystic Fibrosis Extreme Hike. Mm-hmm. Um, you can Google my wife, Wanda Renner. I'm sure Cystic Fibrosis would take you to the site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I think, thank you very much. I feel like, I mean, that's a fantastic cause. It's something we could all get behind. Yeah, it is a great cause, and there's some great people, and, you know, it's a horrible disease with no cure, so mm-hmm. um, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Absolutely. Okay, now, since getting out, you co-founded a company called Endeavor Life Sciences. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, thanks for asking. It's, it's actually a pretty dang cool company. Uh, what we've done is we patented a way to encapsulate DNA safely so it can be added to any new or existing tattoo. Now, most of the re- there's about 50% of the listeners out there are going to go, what the hell would you do that for? And then there's <laughs> another 50% that have tattoos that instantly get it. Mm-hmm. So the best way for me to explain it for the people that don't is whatever inspires you every day, whatever gets you out of bed, uh, for me, it's, it's you know seeing what my wife has to deal with every day. Is she inspires me. So I have encapsulated her DNA and I've added it to my first tattoo uh, in this red rose that's inside this you know, picture of some lungs on my calf. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so just a way to, to, to stay connected to whatever inspires or motivates you. We can encapsulate hair now. We can encapsulate ash of a loved one that's passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the product is called Everance. And actually, it's, uh, you know, we've had a lot of military guys that have lost some buddies or, you know, we've had four or five guys in the same platoon that all wanted you know, DNA from each other's, you know, to sort of carry on some dog tags as they got ready for their first deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can use it any way you want. We don't, we don't dictate what that evidence is. We just provide the capability. Um, you just go to the website, Simple Saliva Collection Kit from Everance.life. 
is the website, and mm-hmm. uh, you'll get a collection kit just like 23andMe. We send it back to us. We encapsulate that DNA in a polymer, a polymer that's been used in medicine for about 60, 70 years, uh, hip replacements and derma fillers, and we send you back what looks like uh, this fine white powder, which is actually encapsulated DNA. Mm-hmm. And you take that to any tattoo artist you want, and they'll add it to a new or existing tattoo. Really? That, oh. That's it. That's it in a nutshell, brother. Okay. That, I mean, that's that's impressive. I, I can think of a couple things I want to get a tattoo with that. Uh, uh, what made you? Let, you th- me, let me know if you do, man. I'll <laughs> make sure you get a code, and and we'll get you get get the kit sent out to you sooner than later. What made you think of that idea? I did not think of it. I came on after about a year of the company being in existence. Mm-hmm. A buddy of mine, good friend and founder and inventor named Patrick, he came up with the idea while underwater. He was on his own dime. He was supporting some gold star moms, some, some wives that have lost the mm-hmm. most significant person in their life, you know, early in Afghanistan days. And she was underwater, and she saw this guy that had this gal, his wife, that had lost her husband. He, she had a unit insignia on her thigh with the guy's name. And Patrick, you know, in, in that instant was wondering, how can I make that tattoo more of a reliquary? How can I put something physical of that loved one in that tattoo for her versus just ink, which ink is incredibly powerful, and mm-hmm. we don't pretend they want to change the tattoo community. That's it's been around for thousands of years. Um, it's just another instant way for people to to add to their tattoo if they choose. So, so he met some polymer chemists. He, you know, got the patents filed. He did all the safety testing, and then he brought me on to the company after about a year. Because he wanted to understand the ecosystem of the military and first responder community mm-hmm. a little better, you know. Obviously, you know, our communities understand and, and been known for having tattoos their entire lives. I never had one. In fact, I would have never got one had it not been for this product. Just because now I feel like you know, now I have a reason. You know, this is this is pretty cool. I got DNA, you know, of a loved one in my tattoo. So, yeah, it's great. We're actually going to do an, another launch here soon. We did our first beta launch. So in the next uh, two to three weeks, I'm hoping you can see another launch. And hopefully you can order a kit. Let me know if you do. I can give you a code or your listeners a code. You should see one on my website. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're welcome to go try it out. I feel like it's amazing. I know it, I'm sure that helps a lot with, like, closure and everything like that. Well, what I'd like to think it helps with is is not only closure but keeping with you whatever inspires you Mm -hmm. um so if you know you and your wife got married down in key west you know you want to do matching tattoos with each other's dna uh birth of a child you know you just got a new dog you know whatever i mean we can encapsulate anything right now what we offer the world is dna ash and hair Mm -hmm. but we've had people encapsulate portion of their harley davidson a piece of the (laughs) bullet that took their leg in afghanistan Mm -hmm. You know, we've pretty much encapsulated anything. I actually have sand um, from the Red Wings mission, the Lone Survivor mission, mm-hmm. from from that crash site. I take I took a handful of sand when I was up there recovering those bodies, and that's going to be in my second tattoo. You mm-hmm. know, to to keep that mission with me forever. Okay, what's the uh, second tattoo going to be? So I'm thinking I'm just going to do two sets of dog tags with initials of every guy we lost mm-hmm. uh, up there on that hill uh, that we recovered. Just you know, most important mission I ever did. So, you know, I want to remember that forever. Absolutely. What's the the greatest lesson that you learned since getting out that's probably made the most difference in your life? You got to look out for yourself. Uh, no one else is going to do it. No one else is going to hand you anything. You're not going to be told what to do. 
you know, I did 28 years and I basically had a, someone tell me when to be there. Even as a W-4, I had to be at certain places at certain times. Mm-hmm. Well, as a civilian, you know, you got to work that out yourself. You got to optimize your time. You've got to, um, you know, optimize your time and balance it. You know, a lot of us have been living out of a sea bag or, or a cruise box forever. You know, you kind of got to learn to be an adult all over again. <laughs> As mm-hmm. strange as that sounds, it's a different culture as a civilian than it is as a military guy. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I know we're kind of winding down on time a little bit. So real quick, how, how can our listeners support you and check you out what you're doing with everything? Well, sadly enough, I do have an Instagram account. I never had social media for ever. And, uh, you know, I started one up, which I'm kind of enjoying. It's not bad. But I got Instagram. B Renner three five zero, and then uh, obviously Everance Life. I think is the handle for Twitter and Facebook, and um, that's our website is Everance So yeah, you'll see all of our you know, stories of me. You'll see stories of people that's gotten the product. The website's very informative uh, for both tattoo artists and for people interested in getting the product. Uh, so that's that's the best way, man. And then you know, just hit me up on a message on Instagram if you want to talk a little deeper. Uh, any of your listeners are welcome to do that. I, I'm really good about responding to people that have some legitimate questions. So, yeah, those are the best ways, my friend. Oh, fantastic. I guess, finally, if you could tell someone who's like who's really struggling right now, whatever stage of their military or EMS career they might be, what are three things that you think impact them the most that could help them get through whatever challenges? Well, for me, it was don't underestimate yourself. Don't let other people underestimate you. And don't be afraid to ask. Um, there's experts out there. You know, they might be a little standoffish, but if you got an E7 out there, you know, and he's been around a while, he would be more than happy to tell you anything you want to know. Trust me, probably in, in nauseam. But uh, but you have to have the balls to just be a man and say, hey, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. What do you think? And if he doesn't know the answer, if he's a good E7 or E6, he'll probably point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So... Those are the three. Don't underestimate yourself. Don't let other people underestimate underestimate you. But if they do, use it for your advantage. And then, then ask. You're not the expert. You know, I'm not the expert now. You know, I'm on Google all the time. How do I tie a damn uh, tie? What matches a gray suit? Is it brown shoes or black shoes? I'm, and what color socks do I wear? I wear Google out trying to, you know, figure it because I'm not an expert. They didn't teach me how to wear a suit and buds. but. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to figure it out. So those are the three things. Okay. Just to end, I, I really want to say thank you for coming here to speak with us. I know some of this stuff might not be easy to talk about. If there's anything else that you need in the future, whether whatever it may be, please don't hesitate to let me know. I'm really looking forward to watching and seeing how Endeavor Life Sciences grows as a company. I'd love to have you on a later date so we can talk about it. Yeah, that sounds good, man. You have me on anytime you want. Uh, and I'll certainly... Uh, uh, give you any names for other people that I feel would be very beneficial. Uh, i got a lot of buddies that dealt with some issues. And, uh, yeah, I'm here for you, man. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to One's Too Many. If you like what you've just heard or you think it would benefit someone you know, share this episode and pass on our web address, onestoomany.com, to someone you believe might need it. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes so we can continue to spread our message. Be sure to check out our website for previous podcasts and check us out on Facebook at Ones Too Many and Instagram at Ones Too Many underscore official. 
This has been Adam Salters. And remember, you matter. You've got this. And you're not alone. Thank you.